HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Southern Peanut Growers, committed to making sustainable more attainable for chefs and cooking enthusiasts worldwide. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Haley Swartz, co-founder and co-CEO of Actual Veggies, the chef-crafted real veggie, Veggie Burger, popping up in retailers across the U.S. Actual Veggies is bucking the plant-based meat trend with good old-fashioned veggies, not isolated soy or pea protein, and can be found at Wegmans, The Fresh Market, Plum Market, and on Imperfect Foods, Hungry Roots, Some Basket, and Fresh Direct. And I think a bunch more coming up in the next couple months, but we'll talk about that. Welcome, Haley. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm so happy you're here. I was just talking to Maddie, our um, brand manager, and she was saying how much fun it was working with your team on our partnership. So I thought I would tell you that right Aww, off the thank bat. you. Yeah, yeah, we love we working with you We go together very nicely. I know. <laughs> I, I love the sauces. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about a bunch of things. I'm, I'm really, you know, the most interesting thing to me here. I mean, obviously, it's a great product, cool story, all of that. But what I really want to get into is the merchandising piece, because I think it is more of a hang up for um, emerging brands than they even know it's going to be. And I can sort of speak from experience, and I think you can, too. But before we get into any of that, I just want to hear how actual veggies became actual. Sure. <laughs> what, what? Yeah, what happened? Sure. So um, just a little bit about me. Um, again, I'm Haley Swartz, and I'm a co-founder and co-CEO. Uh, I, re- I started my career in tech. I worked at AOL, then I worked for a few startups, and then I went to Alibaba. Um, and I, after Alibaba, you know, at, at Alibaba, I was meeting all these entrepreneurs and uh, small businesses who were taking their idea from a small idea and making it into a reality, and that looked like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I wanted to do something myself. I love eating healthy. I love whole foods. And, you know, I wanted something tangible. So in November 2019, I went to lunch with my friend Jason Rosenbaum, my now co-founder and Mm co-CEO. And basically, he had told me that he had stopped eating meat for health reasons. Um, I, in all transparency, I do eat meat. I did eat meat. And I continue to will eat meat. (laughs) Yes. Um, But he told me that he had uh, stopped eating meat for health reasons and convinced me to eat a veggie burger with him at a restaurant. 
I always have loved a good veggie burger. Um, so this wasn't a problem. Like there's something delightful and enjoyable about eating a veggie burger in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And we got this veggie burger and we started talking about how you really couldn't get a good veggie burger at the grocery store. Yes, you could get a ton of uh, products that tasted like meat, but on the traditional veggie burger side, there was mm -hmm. a product that really hadn't been innovated on 20 plus years. Yeah, they're uh, like the frozen discs, basically. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, the hockey pucks that mm -hmm. we like to call them. And um, yeah, so we basically, you know, this seemed too obvious. Like there has to be a reason why you can enjoy a delicious and delightful veggie burger at the at the restaurant, but you can't get one in the grocery store. And if there wasn't one, there had to be a reason why it didn't mm -hmm. exist. And really, like, we didn't find a good enough one. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically, we started toying around with the idea. And there were some, some, some core components of that. We wanted it to be obviously delicious. We wanted it to be an enjoyable experience around the veggie burger. We also wanted it to be really clean and celebrate the veggies that were in it. And then right. we also wanted it to be filling. We wanted you to feel that satisfied feeling that you feel when you eat a real burger, mm -hmm. and but not that sick feeling when you eat a real burger sometimes. So question about this, because this is all happening with some real context of the impossibles and the beyonds and all of the plant-based proteins. And it's it's almost like the two of you were having this, this, that conversation could have been in 1982, 1992, 2012. But it's interesting that you had the conversation within the context of this, of this other thing that's happening in the quote unquote plant-based protein world, whatever you think of it or, or don't, were you, was that part of the thought process at all? Like, were you thinking about that when you were also thinking about, because it's interesting timing in a way, you know? Yeah. That, so like, I think yeah. what we will always be thankful to beyond and impossible for doing is educating the consumer of the importance of eating less meat um, and eating more vegetables for the mm -hmm. environment. Um, the number one reason that people are doing that is for health. So mm -hmm. I think before 2019, 20, you know, whenever those those years that all blend together for us um, are, um, people didn't really think eating a veggie, you know, first diet was a big thing. And now, you know, you look around and everyone, whether they're a vegan or a meat eater, is trying mm -hmm. to eat more veggies. More and so that's really, that education piece is integral um, in helping us think through this opportunity. Yeah, got it. Okay. So then you were like, you looked around for reasons not to do it, and then you decided to do it. Right. And yeah, and you know, what was really important was that like, you know, you look at the recipes online to make a veggie burger at home, and they all are really clean, they're really good. And but what's most important that we knew that was going to be that important to our customers is to make sure it didn't fall apart. And, mm -hmm. you know, so while there is no innovation in the science and the technology, it's all clean ingredients. What we needed was a chef that can make a veggie burger that could be mass produced um, and mm -hmm. manufactured and was made with clean ingredients, but also didn't fall apart. Because there's something right. about an experience when your food that comes packaged doesn't stay the way it's supposed to be. That, mm -hmm. That's sort of disconcerting. Um, yep. So that was what we spent 2020 doing is working with a chef, working with consultants who are great at taking a product from a chef to a manufacturer to make mm -hmm. that into something that's using only natural ingredients as glues, as, um, as binders, binders. to mm -hmm. keep things together. Yep. Yep. And so were you, I mean, obviously that was going on on the R and D side. Were you starting to think about, you know, market and sales and where you wanted to sell it. And did you, you know, I mean, it's interesting. It's refrigerated, although I think it can be frozen thoughts about that thoughts about the branding messaging, like, how are you, how did you divide and conquer? And what yeah. were some key kind of learnings for you as you were in this 2020 mode? Yeah. So I think at first we actually thought we were going to bring this product in a market as D to C on um, mm -hmm. and, my co-founder Jason was adamant, you know, and D2C was exploding. And it was so important that like, mm. that's the way we're going to grow. And that's where we're going to get brand equity. Really quickly, we learned that doing D2C is, 
is not as as uh, easy as anyone mm-hmm. thinks, and especially if you're shipping a product frozen oh. or refrigerated, it, yeah. it's 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 expensive. So that was like the first pivot that we had to do. Um, and with that, you know, really thinking about what that experience would be at the grocery store and how we were going to get it into the grocery store um, as as quickly as possible. So that's interesting. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because you know I also feel like you know, we're refrigerated, obviously, it was not an option to us really to be a digitally native company. Um, Not only that, but like we, I just, I am a grocery store gal and this was 2018 and I loved Whole Foods. So, um, but I will say that when I was doing my initial fundraise, um, after we had a little bit of traction, I would say 70% of at least the more institutional investors I talked to at that time in 2019 uh, wouldn't even look at the company because they just didn't want to do just straight up grocery. They wanted it to have, now I think that's shifted from D to C into more like, where's your digital, what are you doing digitally? like in the digital world, then it was very much like they, they kind of had given up on traditional wholesale grocery because of all the reasons why people did, you know, sort of disrupt that system. But it just never really worked for a cold supply chain just because of the shipping at the end of the day. And now it seems like it's not really working so much or as well for ambient either, because the days of, you know, Instagram, third party data, and, you know, the CAC, you know, sort of relative to, you know, your average order, et cetera, seems to have just shifted dramatically. But it sounds like you guys were kind of building this in the middle of all of that. So what became obvious to you? Like, was it just like, the cost of shipping or was it like, wait a second, it's actually really expensive to acquire a single consumer. We're better off just doing this at a retailer and we can spend money there to like do a little couponing and get people to try it. Yeah. So we always worked from a margin perspective and Mm -hmm. we immediately realized that we would not be able to make money um, Mm -hmm. even without like acquisition. Like this is just, you know, from shipping frozen, um, the, the cost is so expensive, especially during 2020, you know, there mm-hmm. was delays with shipping, uh, product was not rely being, you were, it wasn't real, you couldn't rely on FedEx or UPS to get products to the, cons- the customer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just, this is when we did talk to partners who looked like they were killing it in D to C, but really, or no, their sales might've been right. Their sales might've been, but when you talk to a a salesperson, a head of sales who was inside a company that was focusing on D2C, there were sort of these like rumblings and warnings that, you know, this might not be the biggest part of our business. So we're pivoting to do more of this instead. Um, so when, what I'm really proud of our team for doing is always sticking to the fact that, hey, you know, we might not need to be you know, so profitable at the beginning, but we mm-hmm. do need to have, we need to have, see a path to profitability. Right. And, or, and, and with doing D to C, that's not an option. It's also super wasteful um, mm-hmm. with how you ship it. And then there's also, uh, which I know you've talked on the podcast about before, this really great middle ground around digital experiences that we've leveraged really well, which is working with our online grocery stores. Yeah. And um, shipping to them and letting yeah. them handle the D to C logistics in a more um, economical yeah. and um, sustainable um, route. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, someone I know, just uh, someone who orders groceries online. We were just talking and she was just saying that, you know, she used a particular online food retailer religiously during COVID and now is like not there quite as often and running out to her bodega more and, you know, going out more. And I'm just thinking, 
about them. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I have like the, the, their kind of, you know, business model in my head and thinking like the adjustments that they must have had to make to ramp up, to keep all of these people happy and fed. I mean, you look at like imperfect, right? They, they skyrocketed trying to fulfill demand. And of course, I mean, of course that demand has to shift a little bit in down, you know, I mean, and so how do you build a company that can handle crazy volume at a, at a really important time, but not be sort of susceptible? I mean, even Peloton, right? right like exactly. That, That's exactly just, what I was thinking of as yeah, you said that. Like, I don't know. I, I feel for a lot of the companies because it looks like they missed the ball a little bit, but they, I mean, how do you do it? I don't even know. So I agree. I mean, I think for us building stuff, you know, partnering with those companies and and letting them do what they do well and letting us do the brand building, exactly. you know, seems to be the, the right path. And so how did you, so once you realized that D2C wasn't necessarily, you know, the the place where you were going to build this to what you wanted to build it to, how did you start going out and looking for retailers? Sure. So we definitely went big um, fast and, you know, I know that's not always how people do things, but uh, we were really good at a t- as a team of always just not letting things stop us from, sh- from showing our, our capabilities. So like what I mean by that is, for example, we were shipping samples before we had our trays, uh, like we before our, our manufacturer like had our trays and was like before they were like selling our trays that we instead don't tell anyone this except I'm telling everyone this. So we went to the grocery <laughs> store, we got beyond trays, so we cleaned them out super well. Right, we, and then put yours in. And put our burgers in, we resealed them, we sent them the samples to grocery stores that we wanted to work with. So we were yeah. never saying, oh, we might not have the capacity to, to serve you. We always were planning that, knowing in the future or that we would be ready and never saying no to opportunity. Right. Um, we had a really great launch in January, 2021 on QVC. So it's sort of Mm. in this in between world that, uh, that as was unique, um, in the sense that obviously QVC is one of those online marketplaces that you work with, but also it's a, it's a great marketing engine Um, Mm -hmm. for us. It was a great opportunity to, to, have an order for our co-packer that was large enough to yep. for them to take us seriously and at the same time be a bar- marketing opportunity to drive awareness to de- to a huge uh, amount of customers. I think that's amazing. It's it's funny because it does. I mean, that's such a good point that you bring up. You know, number 1 is everyone talks about, you know, start small, core, then more, and that is true and I I think you see that play out a lot. The problem with that is that you need to have money to enable you to be patient. Right. And um, that, that doesn't always, that's not always the best. You know, you, you want to get some revenue in there pretty quickly, um, which sounds like, you know, is exactly how you guys played it. But I think even, more what we talk about on this show is the co-packers and the manufacturers and getting kicked off of lines and not being big enough and people not taking you seriously and all of those issues because it's never been easier to come up with a formula and go to a co-man and say like hey look I have a great brand and I have you know this cool idea um but it's also never been more competitive for line time. And then you couple that with labor shortages and people being sick, unfortunately. And they had to really be careful with who they were putting on their lines. So this is a great point for people that the QVC thing was a great way to not only sort of build awareness, but to get that jumpstart at the co-packer to get those, you know, minimum orders and to show that you can drive that volume right out of the gate. And so you're just like putting a stake in the ground. Exactly. Um, 
We're going to take a little break because when we come back, you're actually my first guest who launched on QVC out of 159. So <laughs> I would like to talk more about QVC, but we're going to take a break and then come back right. and do that. This episode is proudly supported by Southern Peanut Growers, who are spreading the word about peanut sustainability. As the planet's resources are strained to meet the nutritional needs of its populations, many responsible chefs are doing their part by sourcing local and sustainably raised food. Many are surprised to learn that peanuts are one of the most sustainable plant-based proteins available. Southern Peanut Growers created the campaign, Making Sustainable More Attainable, in partnership with award-winning chef Stephen Satterfield. Together, they're bringing the sustainability message to chefs nationwide. Whether it's conserving water, minimizing fertilizers, or achieving zero waste, peanuts are a logical choice for your next menu. Southern peanut growers represent farmers across Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama. For more information, visit www.peanutbutterlovers.com. I'm Chaba Peribán, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. I'm back with Haley Swartz from Actual Veggies. Okay, so we're talking about QVC. Um, I'd love to just hear your thoughts. I'm, I've heard it can be very expensive. I've heard um, it's not necessarily a target demographic for, a, you know, a premium, you know, sort of modern brand. I've heard it's amazing and that, you know, you get a ton of orders pretty quickly um, just tell me about your experience in general, anyone who's thinking about doing it, what kind of wisdom you can share, um, you know, just go for it. Sure. So the, yeah, this is definitely not somewhere you're going to make a ton of money on from like a profitability standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, revenue numbers can be quite high actually, but the way I think about it is somewhere between, I think it's around 4 million people are watching QVC. And if I can break even or, you know, and get in front of 4 million people yeah. and talk about my brand, let's yeah. just like say, let's just say someone said, I can do a commercial for you for, you know, 10 minutes and you yep. have to pay $0. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, this is any brand's dream to get in front of, I don't care who they are, but if you're getting in front of 4 million people um, yep. and you get to talk for 10 minutes about your product to a very highly engaged audience, mm -hmm. why wouldn't you do it? Right. Um, you know, we're spending money on influencer campaigns. We're spending money on ads and pro in-store promos. And, you know, we're, as I mean, when I say we're, I say all of us CPG brands, why wouldn't you do something where you're basically you know, either going to make a little or um, break even. Right. So I think it's a wonderful experience. Um, I also think, I mean, you're getting in front of middle America moms who mm -hmm. are, are big in their community, who are going to talk about your brand, who are going to be excited about it and have really have that chance to, to speak to, you know, just a large amount of people that you usually aren't in front of. And that's, I think, I, I don't see how you, couldn't, you would say no to that opportunity. And so question, you know, cause a lot of times we, 
we talk about things like out of home, you know, like billboards and truck wraps and things like that. And one of the things that we always talk about is like building our in-store map a little bit more before we do stuff like that, where we're putting fuel on a fire because where are they going to go to get their second batch? So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, is there any way to, were you able to track those QVC consumers? Are they, do they come directly to your website after that? Are you, do you feel like, is there any part of you that's like, I wish we had been in Kroger or Target or whatever when we did it so that they would then be able to go see it in their grocery store after they finished the one that they bought on QVC? Or is, are you just like, nah, it's fine because it just gave us a good jump start and we'll do it again when we do have that ACV? Or, yeah, you know. so I, I completely agree. Like, I think you need to have multiple touch points when you're talking about how to uh, drive awareness and then drive purchase of your brand. And so I, I still think the powers of Q- QVC is, n- is not completely unleashed. So right now, you mm-hmm. know, uh, we don't have, we're about to have n- complete like national distribution where I think that most of our core customers will have a way to get our burgers in the grocery store. And that's mm-hmm. when I'm going to be, uh, banging on QVC doors stores right. and saying, you know, can Let I come, come on? on? I'll be on next week. Can we do it together? Can yeah. you talk about your burgers and I'll sauce them I, I, and then we I can like split the cost? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Done. So, yeah. So, you know, like I said, the first few ones were about you know, there's different goals. Like one was making sure that we can get our, uh, what's the word? The kinks ironed out. Is that the mm-hmm. term? Yes. Yep. I'm like kinks. I've been like having trouble with my like little terms, um, kinks <laughs> ironed out. And, you know, now it's like QVC is more and more effective as we have more and more distribution. And I, and yes. I completely agree. Um, that's so like, some people are like, oh, once you have more distribution, are you going to stop? I'm like, no. Like no, I said before, that's when I'm going to go even harder. Yeah. Uh, and you and you fulfill that directly. So were you? did you have a warehouse set up? So you had your co-packer and you had yes. your 3PL and you were ready to just like the orders went directly from QVC to the 3PL? Yes. Um, so we do have a 3PL and we do have a way to buy our burgers online. Like I said, we just don't push that so hard. Right. Um, but yeah, so our 3PL was work, you know, set up there. Uh, my brother, who's my other co-founder, Alex Swartz, and <laughs> Jason were both at the factory late at night helping shift those orders. Mm-hmm. I I was the talent, so I yes. acted as such. And You're the show pony. <laughs> yeah, the workhorses. So, yeah. yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I chose to, you know, eat a fancy dinner while they were working hard that way. But, um, you know. You, Listen, you did your job. Exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think this brings up a larger point too, which is, you know, I think the difference between me a year ago or a year and a half ago and me now when it comes to sort of sales is they're just not all created equal and they play different purposes. And, you know, at the end of the day, some sales channels are not going to be as margin accretive, but they are going to be massive awareness builders like Costco. And, you know, they'll have other assets to them. You know, most people I know, although a couple are now coming out with better margins, most people I know are not making a ton of money. Their top line is huge at Costco, which enables them to get, you know, maybe some economies of scale, maybe again, more attention from the co-packer, et cetera. But they're not necessarily, the bottom line isn't phenomenal. And it does hit that overall, you know, gross margin. But it's also very much an awareness builder and other stores look at Costco like, oh, huh, they were in Costco. They can handle big orders. You know, it, it gives you a little bit of like, you know, you've earned your stripes a little bit. Um, and then there's some, you know, there are some accounts that are, they're just, driving that revenue. They're just like sales on sales on sales. And I think establishing your goal for each one is almost more important than the number for each one. Kind of like anything, right? Like marketing channels too. Exactly. Um, 
so it's like knowing what you're trying to get out of it is that's the second line of thinking about each one of these things. And so you have done QVC justice um, because now there are definitely going to be people thinking about it. Um, Another, and this is kind of what I wanted to really talk about that I brought up at the beginning, because I, I think I find it so interesting because it's also something that we are playing with. So, you know, most veggie burger burgers, I think until you guys came on the scene were just frozen and they were merchandised in the frozen set. And that's where they were um, and are. And you guys are playing around. Um, I've seen you in some really cool sets where you are literally in the middle of the butcher case in between beef, ground lamb, impossible. You know, it's it's kind of interesting to see that. And I think that is, I mean, y'all tell me, but I feel like Beyond and Impossible did pave that way a little bit too. Like, yes, okay, there is a plant-based set now in a lot of these stores, but people aren't necessarily going to the plant-based set to buy their burger. (laughs) So if they see you in the meat set, you know, in that butcher case, it's just a really great opportunity to say, Hey, we're an alternative and you don't have to like go over to the hippie set in the corner to find us. So tell me about your thinking there. You know, I remember very early on someone saying to me, who's your buyer? And I thought they meant like, who's (laughs) buying it? And they were like, no, no, no. Like, where are you going to be in the grocery store? And I didn't even know that there was, you know, I didn't know how it worked and why would I? Um, but, you know, we're in a couple of different sets in a couple of different places. And even from store to store in the same banner, we're in different places. So tell me how you guys approached it. Did you have someone who knew the world of grocery sales? You know, what advice were you given? What advice would you give? Sure. So yeah, this is definitely an evolving question. And I think, you know, you had Andrea Rose on from Albertsons, Mm -hmm. I remember. And I think what every grocery store, what I got from her and every grocery store is everyone's sort of still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that's both on the the buyer's point of view and, and ours. So what's really interesting is when Jason, um, my co-founder, I think I've said that like seven times that he was mm-hmm. my co-founder. We all know his name now. Um, <laughs> he was really good at understanding. Uh, he looked at data around uh, velocities um, in different sections, which I think is sort of amazing that he thought to do that as a new brand. Because mm-hmm. um, I would have never even known what a velocity was when we right. started. Uh, we also looked at where Beyond and Impossible was, because that is who we considered our competitor. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we also looked at trends of how, and I guess this ties into velocities, but, you know, of, of fresh versus frozen um, and what people's behaviors are around those two things. And right. what's interesting is that's all changing since COVID. Yeah. Um, people, there's been a really big, I, I, there's a switch to feeling much more comfortable buying fresh food in, in the frozen aisle. Um, mm-hmm. I actually was just talking to uh, my buyer at Kroger and it's, it's really they've the frozen buyer has seen some great success in bringing natural and whole foods mm-hmm. to the freezer in a place that like buyers wouldn't in the past have thought that they could buy those kinds of foods in the freezer. Yep. There would be yep. more of a thought that that's the kind of place where you get um, ready to eat or like pre prepackaged dinners. Right. But now people are thinking, Hey, um, how can I shop, you know, for a little longer and keep things fresh? So mm-hmm. with that, um, we're basically in a live like test and learn is what I like to say is like, mm-hmm. we're, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to buyers and I'm saying, what do you think? Um, whether that's the meat buyer, whether that's the, the plant-based buyer in the produce section, whether that's the, uh, um, plant-based buyer who has a refrigerator or whether Mm -hmm. that's the frozen buyer. And I'm trying to understand what they're thinking about their sections. And I'm always asking where they're putting, um, what we consider our, our, I would say competitors or our, our like products. Right. Um, so it's actually 
turning into a really interesting experiment. Mm -hmm. And whereas at first we were saying, you know, we only want to be in the meat section. Uh, now we're really open to every gross talking to buyers at each grocery store yeah. and saying, where do you think we belong? Yeah. And then how can we create creative experiences to support, um, people coming to that section and, and finding our veggie burger. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that conversation with Andrea was interesting for me because my, if I don't know if my team listens to every episode, but literally the day before that, or I don't know, two days before that, I spoke to someone who had built a, a very big CPG brand and was just giving me her advice. And her advice was people do not shop by attribute. They shop by occasion. So every time there's been a set in a grocery store that is the natural quote unquote set that started, it's gotten broken up now in most grocery stores across the country where now those products aren't like in their own, like weird kind of like wood paneled, you know, making you feel like you're in a health food store in Montecito vibe in the middle of a grocery store. But now all of those things have gotten dispersed into almost like the, the generic or like the conventional sets. Mm -hmm. um, and her point was like, this too will pass. Like this plant-based um, set that has everything from like candy bars to sauce, to jackfruit, to you, to kimchi, to, you know, whatever, that's all going to, at some point, it's that catch-all is going to be, you know, dispersed. Um, so her point was like, try to get to where you would be dispersed to. Um, and so I was a little twirly, honestly, for a couple of days, because I was like, we need to go in with conviction. And, you know, we've been very much like, where do you think we belong? And it's very different at Whole Foods than it is at Stop and Shop. It's just different. And we've been sort of like, we have three different decks. We're ready to go into any of these different sets. We know the velocities for all of them. We're like, and, and I kind of came to my team and I'm like, people shop by occasion, not by attribute. And like, we've got to, you know, and that's why I asked the question on the podcast. Cause Andrea was like, actually, we're not seeing that in our data at all. We're right. seeing that this is a set where people are shopping. They want to know where they can find things that are more plant-based. And they don't want to do the deciphering in the dressings. They want to know which ones we've vetted for them as like, they can, they kind of conflate plant-based with better for you and better for the world. And, you know, all of that is a whole different discussion. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't, I think you're right. I mean, I wish that I wasn't as twirly about it because I feel like I want to know and I want one space and I want people to be able to go into every grocery store and we're always next to the same thing, but we're just not. Exactly. And I don't think we're going to be for, I don't know, three to five years until there's something else that's like a dinner tonight or, you know, easy dinner kind of set um, that people have played with, but hasn't really worked either. So are you finding that buyers are amenable to trying you next to things that maybe they haven't tried you next to before? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like we really are in every single section. Like we're in mm -hmm. one, one store in Wegmans, we're in the freezer next to Beyond and Impossible and their freezer, which is actually going well. And Fresh Market, we're next to you. Yeah. And, which is really <laughs> fun. And then in Plum Market, we are in the meat section. Right. Uh, so with each section, there's also, there's pros and there's cons. So there's just things that you don't think about immediately. So when you're in a fresh section, you're also dealing with shelf life issues. So we have mm -hmm. a really, as a fresh product, we have a really short shelf life. So mm -hmm. um, sometimes that could offset the higher velocities, um, which right. we're actually hearing from meat buyers is something they definitely think about as there's food shortages and um, 
you know, yeah, they just want to make sure that your the, the shrink that, you know, meat buyers yeah. are, are afraid of, of your shrink rate. And, mm-hmm. um, that's something we think about. And then in sections like where we are in fresh market, it's making sure that the, the, um, store managers and, uh, the people on the floor are, are comfortable giving the product the correct uh, sticker date so that right. it's not spoiling on the shelf. And, yeah. you know, and then the freezer, it's, it's all these different things, making sure yeah. it stands upright. So we have a lot of different factors and it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a little too early to say, Hey, one of these is a winner, but like I do have to say, there's a ton of great data coming out of it. And I do think I used to be like you really stressed about where we need to be. And now mm-hmm. as a young brand, I see it as, you know, with each store, we're conducting a mini experiment. And yeah. right now, um, you know, with each store, we can do, there's positives and ne- negatives in each right. section. And how do we leverage those positives to um, have a better experience? So like in the freezer, we can put stickers on the door, for example. You mm-hmm. can't do that in an open refrigerator. And the refrigerator, we can be, you know, we're next to you. So people who are shopping for a hummus or sauce, uh, they'll see us. So that's a totally different customer. And then obviously yeah. the meat customer. So then it, to me, it's, yeah. I see it as like, again, I'm just doing this like giant experiment and A-B test. Um, and I, I don't feel pressure yet as a younger brand. I think right now these are all just great data points and saying I'm driving mm-hmm. awareness to different people and also um, you know, getting learnings, getting learnings. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great way to look at it. And I remember, you know, we did, you know, we were like, when we first went into whole foods, it was like produce hummus or where we are now, which is, it's like an 18 word set. It's like natural meat, alternative plant-based Asian, I think is like in there somewhere. Like it's just, it's like, Clearly, they built this set when, you know, there was condiments, you know, it was just this whole, it was like a hodgepodge. Um, and, you know, I was always like produce, produce, produce. And we, and candidly, we, we did the best. I mean, that was our highest velocity. Um, but we really belong, as far as they're concerned, more in this set. Um, right. And so... I think what we learned pretty quickly was, you know, and this sounds really, really simple, but it's really, really true. When you're a new brand and people aren't exactly sure, I mean, you have less of this problem than we do, but people aren't exactly sure like what you are or what to do with you or how you make their life better or why you're worth that extra dollar. Um, the the in-store coupon or sign or really nice merchandising is not going to do as much as that digital discovery and awareness is going to do. And if we can build these brands and get people to understand them, by the time they get into the store, they're already inclined. They're going to see us and be like, oh, I recognize that from QVC or from TikTok or from whatever. Um, which I think is like a very simple thing. And yet for some reason it feels like very like mind blowing to me lately. Right. No, I completely agree with that. And I think it's doing it. I mean, I hate to say it's doing it all, but yeah, I, you it, know, is. <laughs> it sort of is. And, you know, like I said, we're trying to find creative ways. And I know you and I have talked about creative ways mm-hmm. to drive people to, you know, our products in the store, whether it's collabing with other brands in both the digital and real world, um, Mm -hmm. to put the whole meal together, um, Mm -hmm. to help them or, um, you know, working with the grocery store and what they think works best, whether that's their, in their, their, uh, their circular, their circular, (laughs) which is something I never thought I'd be talking about, but that I'm talking about now. Um, or, you know, we do demos work for us really well. So yeah. once as that picks up, that's something we definitely think about. Um, well, definitely call me when you start doing demos again, because we can definitely go in on yes, this together. Please. That's yes, perfect. Um, so speaking of sort of that, you know, building the brand awareness, you know, 
It's funny because I really do. I, I see so many comparisons where we're not necessarily building the business online, but we are building the brand digitally. And I think everyone kind of is, um, which is kind of nice. I always, I never remember the right quote. Someone will DM me with it, but it's like the Melanie Griffith in Working Girl where she's like, I've got a bod for something, but a brain for business. Like, I always feel like <laughs> I, you might be too young to remember Working I Girl. Like, I, I'm um, like just done with movie quotes. I do, okay, I do love Working Girl, but I'm... So I always think of like our business is like we're very much a grocery store brand, but we play very well with all of like the cool kid tools. Yep. You know, and I like that about us. And I'm actually it's something like I'm proud of and very much like talk about a lot. But how did you right out of the gate start building your marketing channels? Like where were you, where did you decide to focus? Why did you decide to focus there? You can't choose them all. Yep. How did you play? You know, what do you think have been the big learnings there? Yeah. So, I mean, these online marketplaces, Hunger, Perfect, uh, Purple Carrot, uh, Imperfect, they have incredibly loyal communities and yeah. They, their customers, you know, you go in a Facebook group and they have our, our veggie burgers for dinner and you see what they're saying about them, how they prepared them, you know, mm -hmm. they're telling their friends. And that's been like the most awesome, like rewarding thing. We get emails from their, their customers saying, Hey, mm -hmm. I got my veggie burger in my, um, imperfect, uh, box. So good. Um, you know, this is how I prepared it. And that's, that's been really cool to foster, to, to, leverage that community mm -hmm. another thing we did and this is maybe i don't know if other people have done this we've we have used i don't think we've figured out tiktok but we're consistent on tiktok we have fun mm -hmm. on it um we have two um interns who graduated just graduated from college who have now become best friends and make tiktoks using our burgers <laughs> and they make recipes and follow awesome trends and do that um obviously we are on instagram we collab with our um, other brands and keep that going. Um, things it's hard to build on yeah. Instagram right yeah. now though. Yeah. Yes. No, it's yeah. just, it's more like, I hate to say like checking the boxes, but, um, yeah. someone we, called it a really good, it's like the sign on the door. Yes, exactly. You know? It's exactly. like, hi, this is our store. These are our hours. This is what we do. Exactly. You know, you need to be there, but it's, yes. you're not going to grow organically. Yeah. There. And we're, yeah. we're really, we're staying away from too much paid media mm -hmm. right now we, what we are doing uh, i think is interesting um it's similar to um like a social nature program but, but um focusing more on younger uh, target demo is, is a program called aisle um mm -hmm. which, we're doing that okay awesome so or we just we just signed up or we're just starting yeah and something. that's that's yeah. using it, it, i mean i guess so that is our first time using paid media but it's not to drive awareness but to drive trial so we're basically mm -hmm. making uh, Facebook and Instagram ads with, uh, with that drive people to a free sample in store. So it's like right. exactly what you're saying is taking the leveraging the digital community to get them to go to the store, which our store partners love as well. Um, and then to buy our product at the store. Um, yeah. and that's been really exciting, um, to see that. Um, and then, like I said, we are doing a lot of the demos and then our, our, our QVC going back to QVC. So <laughs> everything's yeah. all about QVC. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's really cool. You know, I, everyone finds their, I think that's what I love about doing this show. I mean, I like a lot of things about interviewing people, but one of the things is like everyone has their own road and it depends on the founders and it depends on the product and it depends on like the zeitgeist and, you know, there's no playbook. There's some very fundamental laws of physics that you have to abide by. But kind of other than that, like, you know, I mean, a couple of these channels didn't even exist a couple of years ago. And what works today is probably not going to work in six months from now. And that's kind of fun. I mean, it's a little scary and you have to, you have to be 
you have to have your finger on the pulse of stuff. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think it's what key, I mean, I was just talking to Armin before you came on and it was like, I'm never bored. Nope. You know, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, and so what are you, you know, we're in an interesting time. Um, you know, investors, I think the sort of, I think the like, oh no, no one's invest. I, I think that's a little overblown. I think investors still have money that they need to put to work. They're just maybe looking at valuations a little differently than they were a couple of years ago. They might be actually paying more attention to that sort of margin that everyone used to say they paid attention to, but really they just cared about top line a lot. Um, what are you focused on in terms of like, what do you feel like your top priorities are to get yourself in like a really good spot to sort of withstand the next 18 months of all the stuff? Yeah. So, um, for us, number one is continuing to double down on those online marketplaces. Those are really good accounts for us to drive, um, marketing and also, um, orders, um, and, um, dollars. Um, and then something that's completely new channel, but we think is really big for us is food service. So Mm -hmm. again, so everything Mm -hmm. I'm thinking through is two ways, one, obviously revenue, but also, and two is, uh, is brand awareness. Um, and you might actually flip those. Um, and so working with, you know, strategic investors who also might be in the hospitality space, Mm -hmm. um, to help get our burgers in places, um, where it's not just the grocery store. And then, um, number three, which I think I'm the most excited about is how to support camp, uh, in-store purchases through creative means that like, I think our, uh, buyers at the grocery stores are excited about. And when I say buyers, Mm -hmm. like our category managers, Um, like, and like, yeah, just thinking about different ways to market where in store and drive those velocities up. So, yeah. um, I'm, I'm less concerned over the next year of getting in every single door. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to really support the ones that we're in and we're working with. Um, and then, you know, like I said, growing food service, I think yeah. we're in a very interesting perspective or place where we can both be the veggie burger for plant-based restaurants who have burgers that taste like meat or the veggie mm-hmm. burger at uh, burger restaurants mm-hmm. if they don't have a burger on uh, they don't have a veggie burger on their menu so both of those or if um, they do and they want an actual veggie burger exactly so yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that's that's what's fun for me um the like yeah and like I said these like online accounts just continuing to uh, work with them because for us, they are, they're, they're the nut. Yeah. They're the nut. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that it's, that's the other part of this. That's really fun. Like, you know, I was talking, I, I mentioned him. I think I mentioned Miguel almost in every <laughs> single episode. It's like scary, but he was talking about how Cholula got to be Cholula and food service was a huge part of their business, but it was also a huge part of their awareness building. So, you know, having that bottle of Cholula in the middle of the table just became their thing. And it, it was the thing that caused the flywheel. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, food service doesn't work for everyone. Branded food service is hard, you know, but it for sure makes sense with a veggie burger, which is really fun to think about. Um, and it's interesting too, like earlier in the conversation, you said that your competition was beyond an impossible and your competition is not other veggie burgers, <laughs> which is kind of interesting if you think about that, right. you know, I mean, just talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, and I won't, I won't, I won't say that's the case in food service. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Right. Um, because I think there's different attributes, but yeah. So what we think of ourselves as, um, again, we are targeting the same consumer that beyond an impossible mm-hmm. targets, which is someone who's trying to eat less meat. So mm-hmm. in that sense, we are the, the same, we consider them our competition. This is also like our, um, 
was it like gold? Why do I can't I can't remember the thing? Gold star or whatever of you know standards of you yeah. know where we want to go. And I right. think like from like a brand awareness, sales, and positioning point, um, these brands did a really great job. And like I said, yeah, we are saying to the person who's trying to eat less meat, here's another option. And I think right now. That's why we consider those our, our competition. Yeah. And also, I think you just, I, I now totally get it. Your point in a way is you don't have to think so much about where you want to be merchandised in each store. You just have to say, put us next to them. Yep. Exactly. Which is, that's actually huge because we used to say like, just put us next to follow your heart. Wherever that is, like, just put us next to them. Um, now we don't do that as much because it doesn't actually translate everywhere. But for you, that makes so much sense. So that's why at the end of the day, they're, they're more of a, you're just looking at those numbers because you're sharing shelf space and you just want to have velocity them. And that makes total sense. Um, okay. Last little bit before we go, um, you know, this is your time to just say, this is the advice that I want you to hear from someone who is 18 months to two years ahead of you or who's in it with you and is still slugging it out. What do you wish someone had told you? What would you like everyone to hear who's listening? Yeah, so a few things, I think, at least for me, and I know this may be different for you, but like having co-founders has been integral in my success. So having mm-hmm. an internal team that I can rely on and share the the wins and the losses with and Mm-hmm. Um, push me when I, I, I don't think I can go anymore has been really important for me. Um, yeah. at the, at the same time and, you know, surround yourself with people who know what they're talking about. Not too many. Um, right. I think it gets overwhelming. Um, but at least someone and like the third piece of that is just do something, make a decision. And I think this is the biggest part of it do something, make a decision. Don't just get overcome with fear. Like there's things aren't black and white and that that's really hard for me to understand, but Mm -hmm. like there's never going to be, I mean, you always, if you make a decision, not like a right. Exactly. There's no right or wrong. It's just like, I think a lot of people get stuck in the, like, I have this idea. I don't know what to do with it. Like Mm-hmm. make a landing page, like sell it at a bake sale. I don't know, do like, do whatever do that next step is. Um, because that's like the only way you're going to move forward. And that's been really helpful for us. Um, the last thing I think, especially as a woman that like, I've gotten a lot better at, and I struggled with at the beginning is to trust myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really hard sometimes to do that, especially when you're new to an industry. Um, and you know, everyone else seems to be giving different advice, but really Mm -hmm. you've got to believe in yourself and, um, your own capabilities. And that that's been like the most rewarding when I see myself having more confidence and doing that. And, um, just not, you know, yeah. listening to those around me, but also knowing that but not I'm too capable. many. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think that's my new, my new favorite quote is like, surround yourself with people who know what they're talking about, but not too many, um, <laughs> which, which is the truth because like, you know, I just shared with my, I had two very, very capable, smart women who know exactly what they're talking about. Give me almost categorically opposite advice. Yeah. You can go crazy um, and you can totally go crazy. So um, here's to nobody going crazy. Haley, thank you so much. Oh gosh, um, thank you for, for having me. On. We will get these, we will get these fun veggie burger yeah. sauce partnerships oh, off the ground. That chimichurri make, sauce is so good. You oh. know what I love? I love the red burger with the tahini. Yeah. Or is it the purple? It's is it purple? purple? <laughs> yeah, I love the purple It's really one. funny, I have to say, hearing people's like, uh, ideas of the color burgers we have because like some people are like orange some people are like yellow <laughs> some people are like reds are purple and I'm like whatever as long as it's in the rainbow I'm as good. long as it's in the rainbow but I mean those two together are very very good um and um yeah I mean this was awesome thank you so much for coming on thank and you I really for having me it. it was so much fun yeah and Armin as always um thank you for engineering the show today 
Um, a couple of notes. I'm going to be away for, I think, the next two weeks, but I will be back on June 6th with literally like a legend, um, a couple clues. She's been in this business for, uh, I think, 30 years. She does not have a food product. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. But like my literally my idol, I think. Um, out of everyone. And mostly because to your point, Haley, because she really, really trusts herself and there's no ambiguity. Um, I think I know who it is, but I'm going to. Beautiful to watch. Um, Yeah. I mean, just in case she cancels. (laughs) (laughs) She's a busy person. Um, Anyway, all of you who listen and send me notes and and like it and all of that, I really appreciate it. This is for you. So, um, I will be back in a couple weeks with another episode of In the Sauce. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.